This is the Creative Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lopez. Hope you enjoy this podcast. It's set up and designed for coaches, leaders, and influencers to share their stories and inspire others to share their stories as well. That we can all learn together as a community and get better every day. So thank you for listening to season two. Today's guest is Stan Jones. Coach Jones is an assistant coach for the Florida State men's basketball team. We talked to him today about winning being a learned behavior, how to define reality for your players, that you should invest in your craft. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor to be asked. No, Coach, I, I really am grateful and thankful that you, you're taking some time to be on with us. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, tons of accolades, highly regarded in the coaching profession there at Florida State and, uh, you know, throughout your career. And so I'm just here again, honored that you're on. And so I'm going to start off like I do every podcast coach in that. How were you introduced to the game of basketball? Well, that's a great question. You know, I, I, I grew up in a generation where, you know, all the kids in the neighborhood, everything was kind of centered around the uh, the, the neighborhood community center, and, and all the kids in the neighborhood we kind of played uh, whatever sport was in season. Uh, we, the, the specialists and the year-round uh, workout training and playing that wasn't in vogue when I was growing up. So. Um, sixth grade community center had uh, my parents signed me up for the uh, for the basketball season uh, my dad had been a pastor and uh, he had started a little league team so I, my first sport I played was baseball uh, and then they wanted me to be you know well-rounded and provide opportunities and, and be involved in what my friends were doing so in the sixth grade I played in the local community center league and uh, advanced from there moved up in that uh, program ended up uh, in seventh and eighth grade, getting a chance to play on the uh, my neighborhood school team, and then uh, my dad's church started a private school back in those days, and uh, started going to school there in the ninth grade, and, and played high school ball my whole four years there, and uh, became a walk on to Memphis State. So, my progression as a player was, was just kind of an old school, normal way. But I was five nine in the ninth grade. I, I continued to grow for like three inches a year wow. uh, to being six, seven and a half when I played as a walk-on at Memphis State, which is now the University of Memphis. And uh, so basketball is a game that I just kind of grew with and grew up with. And uh, it became a a real fascination. I started having success in it. I ended up being uh, the best player at my high school and uh, and, uh, and those kind of things, even though my first first participation was baseball, which was my second love. But uh, it was was just a kind of a deal where – um, my strengths fell into that category, but I, I was able to grasp that because I tried other sports. I tried tried to play a little football, even though that was badly, and uh, and ran a little track and some things like that. Knew that wasn't for me, so I, I was able to kind of find out where my purpose and my passion was by you know being experienced in a lot of different sports as a youth, which I think is missing sometimes in our society these days. I'd agree with you, Coach. There uh, again, my generation not too far down the road from you, we. Uh... We, we did every sport, everything that came up, like you said, the season we were in it. Uh, we didn't, there was no, AEU was at its infancy. Uh, and most of us didn't know about it. We, at that time, AEU, you had to fill out a card and kind of apply for what sports you wanted to play in. And so that was kind of uh, a novelty, if you will. But yeah, we all. And there was only one elite team. Yeah. There was only one elite team in your area or in your state. And right. so you had. If you didn't make it, there, there wasn't other options to do that. Yeah, no, you're right. And the Boys and Girls Club, the YMCA, the uh, Parks and Rec, I mean, those were our havens. That's where we found competition, and that's where we uh, kind of sharpened our skills on our own. We didn't have or the, or the, or the outdoor courts uh, and that way, or the baseball field or whatever. I mean, we just we went for it. We had to be outside. Uh, Mom and Dad wouldn't <laughs> want us inside just wasting time away either. And so, yeah, it's good stuff, Coach, really good stuff. Now, you talk about your experience as a player now. Was that always peaches and cream, or did you have any kind of uh, 
you know, resistance or injuries or anything that kind of held you back in your playing career? No, I didn't have any injuries, but you know, when I got into high school, my high school, I was, uh, I was the best player for most of my career in high school on my team, but we, we, we were not a winning team and I never really understood, uh, what it took to win and, and winning being a learned uh, skill that we have to, uh, it doesn't come naturally. We have to learn to, to fight for that and to, and to uh, obtain it. And I didn't start understanding that until I became a freshman in college. Uh, and that experience as a player, uh, both from not winning and to winning, kind of fueled my fire uh, as I moved into the coaching profession of, of what I wanted to be able to teach uh, the players that I was fortunate enough to be able to work with and the kind of program I wanted to develop and uh, uh, those winning values. I wanted to make sure uh, our players understood how hard it was, how much you should cherish it, uh, and, uh, and never take it for granted. Yeah, no, for sure, Coach, because it's not, say, you, your first year in, you win your conference, go to the NCAA tournament, get to Sweet 16 or, or whatever, right, have a lot of success. It may not always be that way. Uh, but if you, you, like you talked about, winning being learned, uh, man, if you can keep that going and that mindset, you can maintain that throughout your your program and with your players. Uh, there's a likelihood that you may be back if you if you just you learn how to win games and especially down the fourth quarter. If you win or lose games in that fourth quarter, or you're losing more than you're winning. That can really destroy a season. In that, never mind the wins and losses, but mentally. Uh, not for just that season, but for the next as you try to progress with your group. Uh, so, yeah, it's really important. I mean, winning programs uh, produce winning players, and they, when you bring in the next crop, they know what the expectation is. They know what the culture is, and so that's just a great situation. So, yeah, I like how you said it, Coach. Winning is learned. Yeah, it really is. And so it is. It really is. It's a habit, and and, and losing is a habit. Yeah. And I, and the, the the little bit I use social media, I have a little hashtag I use to kind of sign off, and it just says "winners win." And I, I base that off of, uh, you know, all the teams that I've I've been fortunate to be a part of now, and especially in my coaching career, a lot of winning teams, a lot of and, and some championship teams, and. Uh, it is a rare instance that guys that participated on championship teams do not become champions in life. And whatever they do after their their playing careers are over, uh, they they become champion dads, they become champion uh, husbands, uh, they become champions in whatever uh, discipline of work they decide to do outside of being an athlete. Uh, they just they, they find a way to win because that ingrains in them, and that's. And that's part of the fuel that uh, that burns inside of me as a coach to try to have that impact uh, to get winners to learn to get the habit of winning, so uh, they never want to go over to the other side of the of the the, uh, the dash that we have in life. Yeah. Uh, and I always tell people to keep to get more numbers on the left side of that dash, and to, and to celebrate your wins is crucial for having uh, an impact in your personal life, in your family's life, and in your in your community's life. Yeah. For sure, Coach. That's, uh, I don't know, to, to, to go through life with the mentality or with the mindset of that, well, why should I even try? I'm probably not, not going to win anyways. Like, that's, that's super defeatist. And when you have a winning mindset, you're pretty much fearless when it comes to situations and challenges. Now, there's also a healthy fear to have, of course, but there's a fearlessness when you step into a, a you know, a, competi- a competitive type situation. And I think winners, they just, they'll compete with anybody, anytime, any place. Like that's always my, my mindset is like, and hey, you name the time you name the place up there, man, you might beat me, but uh, you're not, you're going to beat me once. That's probably it. I'll figure you out and beat you again and again and again. So yeah, that's good stuff, coach. Now I want to ask. Uh, no, no question. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, coach. I was going to say, I just got in a book I'm currently reading. Uh, uh, in, in this book, it, uh, it talks about that uh, psychologists have come up with a statistic that the 80% of the humans, a human mind's thoughts are negative. Yeah. And you talk about healthy fear. Uh, we talk to our players about that a lot. That 
you know, you got to, you know, sometimes in our generation, they want to say PVO, you know, positive vibes only, and you know, don't be hating on me. But you know, the Bible tells us we have to fear, the Bible tells us we have to fear the Lord, right? you know, to make sure we live right. So we have to learn how to channel those negative thoughts into motivation to make sure that we build those habits of winning. And I think that's so critical that you understand how to channel uh, the negative to the positive, and it becomes a circle for yourself that's never-ending. For sure. Coach, what does it say in Proverbs? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think that's uh, something that we all need to like – we can we can load up on knowledge, but we need wisdom to apply that knowledge. So, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff that, hey. com- that comes out of that mindset about, okay, wh- what do I fear? Who should I fear? And, and kind of categorize it and then prioritize it, if you will. Uh, so yeah, because amen and amen. Yeah, you don't want that paralysis of fear. That uh, that's really something that I always, you know, uh, portray or I try to live out in my life to kids is like, hey, look, I, I don't even my own children. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not going to fear the future because then I can't live my future. So yeah, good stuff, coach. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so who or what influenced you to go into coaching? You know that's a that's a terrific question, and uh, you know, and, and thinking back on it, you know, you know, the, the first, and my dad was a pastor. My dad was a little older. He was a fire and brimstone guy, you know, so it was, it was very kind of almost legalistic in my house. So, you know, right yeah. was right, wrong was wrong. Yeah, and, you know, and sometimes, sometimes as a young kid, you get so much into that, you don't find growth in yourself. And yeah. you know, every coach I played for, from youth leagues up through high school and into my college experience. Um, they became like heroes to me, even though they may not have had names or may not have had, you know, huge successes or in any hall of fames. But in my book, they were in my hall of fame because they helped me find myself. They helped me find my confidence. I was kind of a late mature in terms of, I went to you know, being five, nine in the ninth grade. And, and, and one of those guys that didn't start a growth spurt till late in high school uh, and those kind of things. So the coaches just, you know, pouring knowledge into me and pouring uh, demands of excellence into me. Uh, those people became people that I looked up to and anybody that had the title coach in front of their name, you know, uh, I became a little naive and thought they were all were superhuman beings and none of them, uh, they all had special callings kind of like ministers, but you can also find ministers that, that don't always do the right things. But yeah. that was the initial part of it. And then when I got into college, uh, my school where I'd gone to, they wanted me to, to coach the, uh, the sixth grade team that played on Saturday mornings. Uh, and just to you know, be involved and, and, and kind of mentor. That kind of gave me the bug when I started about. But about the same time that I started coaching those sixth grade kids, I had a, an older brother that was a minister as well, and he sent me for uh, I don't remember if it was Christmas or a birthday, but he sent me John Wooden the book about John Wooden called They Call Me Coach. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when you, when I when I got that book and I read it, I've always been a very avid reader. My parents started me on that early. And I, to this day, I, I read a lot uh, just to try to make sure I, I become a continuous learner yeah. and, and find new ways to share knowledge and, and to try to be expressive to my team and find ways to inspire and, and, and educate them. But uh, that book, they call me Coach, uh, it, it talked about uh, John Wooden's influence on his team uh, more so from the discipline and the faith uh, and, the, and the success and why he coached. It, was, it, was one, it wasn't it was an old book. It wasn't a strategy book. It was a life book. Yeah. And, uh, and I was at that point being a person that growing up in a, in a faith-based home, I didn't think my calling was to be a minister. And through that and then my personal devotions and stuff, I, I really felt a calling that, that uh, coaching was to be my, my ministry in the world. Uh, and to try to make a difference in young people's lives by being their coach like the coaches have done for me. So those are my biggest influence influences. And, you know, it's not from anybody spectacular. It's not from some historical person other than reading that book uh, about John Wooden. But the unique thing about that is over the course of time, as I was coaching and, and John Wooden was still alive, I actually just, uh, in our church, there was a, a bulletin came out one Sunday and there was an article in there about John Wooden was written by one of his former players. I remember the player's name was John Vallelee. And he talked about how John Wooden had been an inspiration to his, his faith and his Christian life. And I was just wrote a book, I wrote a, wrote a letter out of the blue and addressed it to Pauley Pavilion in Westwood, California. The coach John Wooden uh, and just 
asking him how he developed that ability to do that and what were some things that could help me and doing that and having no clue if I'd even get an answer. I just did it uh, because I felt led to do it. And amazingly, about a month later, I got a letter back from Pauley Pavilion on the campus of UCLA, and it was handwritten by nice. John Wooden and nice. explaining his philosophies and, and, and how he tried to influence his players and had an autographed, personalized copy of his Pyramid of Success. Wow. And again, that was just another uh, addition to the uh, to my personal fire to to want me to go deeper and, and to be better and to, and to dream bigger as a as a basketball coach. Wow, coach, that's a, that's an amazing story. I mean, given John Wooden, I mean, historic, uh, you know, humble Midwestern upbringing, uh, very thoughtful, very kind. You know, those are the words that come to mind. You know, when when I read anything, John Wooden. Uh, and so like that kind of, that story plays well for that. Like he's consistent in everything he did and especially with winning championships, he's pretty consistent with that. So yeah, coach, it's a great story. Now, do you recall the finding moment with your first experience as a coach? <laughs> I, I certainly like it's uh, like it was yesterday. Remember the very first practice. Uh, when they asked me to coach that sixth grade team yeah. in uh, in the fall of 1977, wow. uh, and I'm in the, a, a gym that was you know, finishing up construction, so we really just had a side basket that had kind of been put up there. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't even one you, you ordered to put in to be the the final equipment. It was a homemade basket that the school had put up so we could <laughs> begin you know using the gymnasium and there you go. The, the kids show up. The kids show up, and you know I knew basketball a little bit, and I was playing at that time, and had been in practice uh, at the University of Memphis, and and I get out there, and I'm these kids are looking up at me, and I said, I'm saying, do I know what I'm doing here? Can I really get, can I really organize this and make it happen? And yeah. uh, so it was, uh, you know, that, that initial doubt and that initial, you know, anxiety of you know, uh, how do I start this and can I get through it was uh, to this day still kind of fuels me, and it, it really still impacts me in the ability that I try to make sure I'm super prepared wow. uh, because I think the, uh, the, the best coaches uh, in, in our, in any sport are the most prepared and the most mentally tough. Yeah. And uh, because players, I think they notice the quickest if you're not prepared. And so every practice I do, every individual workout I'm asked to do in our program to this day at Florida state, uh, I refuse to go into it and just kind of wing it and, and fly by the seat of my pants as I try to put thought into everything I'm going to say from the, the coach pulpit to start the workout where we're talking about what we're going to do to, to each drill and having the purpose it has to it and, and how to wrap it up and, and put a bow on it in the practice to make sure we got the best out of it. And that, that goes back to that initial moment of, uh, of fear and anxiety of, yeah. am I good enough to do this? And can I, am I, am I really going to be able to do this? Yeah. And so I, I after, after 43 years and in, in having my 43rd team this past year, you know, that's still something that uh, that's a driving force for me. It's awesome, Coach. You know, uh, I remember the first time I stepped on the court to help my dad coach a four- and five-year-old group. And uh, talk about having to have something prepared for a group. Uh, it was just – it was bananas. I was like, hold on, where, what's going on now? And he took me to the side and says, you know, Mike, you need to show up prepared. They'll know if you're not prepared because then they'll go off and start playing with the wall or do whatever – and uh, so, yeah, I, I remember that same type of uh, start where it was like, always be prepared. And even to this day, uh, yeah, not walking into the gym, especially nowadays with this generation of young people. They're so exciting. They're so creative. There's a lot of great things about them. And the fact that they can still sniff out some, uh, some fakeness and your lack of attention to detail uh, will always play itself out in a, in a way that's not positive for you. So yeah, always being prepared. That's a great coach, uh, and a great memory. I think man. the great, the, the great Hall of Fame coach Chuck Daly, I think, was quoted one time saying that you can't fool babies, puppies, and NBA players. And I think he's right. You can't <laughs> if they if they know you don't know what wow. you're doing, and you're just trying to to wait to to fake them out. They'll they'll know it, and you have no shot of being successful. I never heard so it's that. Important quote. to say you know more than them. Yeah, yeah, that's a great quote, man. Chuck Daly was classic, man. Just gold. And uh, that's great stuff, Coach. I appreciate you throwing that out there because I never heard that. But I'm going to use it now. So, yeah, good stuff. So, I here again, talking about this generation of player. And as you know, as, as long as you've been in the game, Coach, and seeing how uh, young men evolve 
through the years. And it doesn't take long nowadays. Every two, every three, four years, they evolve into something else. It seems like uh, whether it's culture, pop culture, whatever. Uh, so what excites you about working with young people, coach? Well, that's a, I think that's a two answer, two part answer to that question is, you know, the, the first thing is more the, it's not really immediate, but you're in the present moment when you see it is, is when those guys realize that aha moment that they can do something that other people doubted they could do, whether it's a skill, whether it's a championship, uh, whether it's a, an achievement of a lifelong dream by like uh, Devin Vassell, who was our leading scorer this year at Florida State, who uh, when he signed with us, I think everybody kind of scoffed and said, why are you signing with an ACC team? You're never going to play there. Wow. And he ended up uh, now after a sophomore being an early entry in the NBA draft nice. uh, with uh, about a 99% chance he's going to be a, the top 20, the top 25 pick wow. uh, in the first round this year. Uh, and, and see guys like that realize that you know, if I'm coachable, I'm teachable, uh, I have a great capacity for work, a great capacity to learn, and I can handle my distractions, that I can reach my hopes and dreams and, and my goals uh, that I, my dreams that I put a, a target on, I've now reached those targets, and you can just see the the satisfaction and the maturity go off in those guys. But then the second uh, part of that question is is when you see them when they come back to you. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing greater for a coach than to see his former players, to get a phone call or a text from his former players, and hear about how they're doing in their life. Yeah. Uh, whether it's in another career outside of if they're not playing anymore. Uh, if it's the birth of a child, if it's uh, uh, something they're doing in their community, whether it's in their church or whether it's in community service or, or some mission that they're doing, uh, and just to see them happy and to see them achieving all the things that you hope you instilled at least a little bit into yeah. when they were under your leadership. Uh, you know, those are the two things that, that give you fuel. To, uh, man, I got to go to work the next day because I got to I got to keep making this happen. So that's. Uh, there's nothing more special than to see those two things as a coach with your own eyes. Yeah, no, growth and development. Something that we all as coaches and professionals strive for is we want to get better. We want to develop our, uh, our skill set, our tool. We add more to our toolbox. But then when we see that happen with the young people that we work with, yeah, coach, it's uh, having coached now for 25 years myself is just like there's no, there's no better feeling because you know – your time invested uh, was well worth it. And you go back and remember some of the times you think, I didn't know I had that kind of impact on that kid, but I, apparently I did. So awesome. Good deal. Uh, but what it does. I had, and a great story for that, Mike, is uh, just this past year, uh, the point guard, who was the most valuable player on our team on my last high school team in 1995. And we won the association state championship. And, uh, uh, it's it's kind of uh, ironic. There was a picture taken of uh, me hugging him after the game, and there's a father of a student at the school we at this shaking my hand while I'm hugging him, and he's wearing a University of Miami sweatshirt, which is in August is where I left that school to go play. So it was kind of almost like a prophetic deal. Wow! But 25 years later, uh, he's a, a, a wildly successful businessman now. And he wanted to bring his two sons down to our last game against Boston College. Two things, because he knew we had a chance to win the first uh, ACC regular season title in FSU history. But the second thing, he says, Coach, I, I want can we come down a day early? He says, I want my son. I want you to work my sons out. Wow. It'll mean so much to me that his sons are in this like the seventh and eighth grade. And he said, uh, I want them to experience what I got to experience. And when you have those kind of things come back, that'll that'll make you a little bit emotional. Oh man, that is super uh, rewarding, Coach. That that whole that whole process of now you get to uh, pass it to his, you know, his legacy, his family tree, and you're not just uh, I don't know. You were just a quick experience he had in college. It's like you 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 meant something to him, and that means you mean something to those kids now. So yeah, that's that's a great story, Coach. I. And that's, and that's really the whole point of why I think we do what we do from, from time to time. And we think about it as like, yeah, we love the game. We want to teach the game. We want to uh, kind of just stay in the game at times because we're thinking, man, I, I don't know what I'd do without basketball. Kind of like these times we're going through right now. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're in the people business. And that's who we're, that's who we're serving. 
And we, were, we think we're just serving them, but we're actually serving their kids and their grandkids in a, in a roundabout way. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great story. Now, Coach, here again, bringing up this crisis and kind of the time away from the, the program, the kids, the gym, all that. How are you processing uh, this whole crisis? Well, you know, that's, that's been the, uh, the topic of every day of whatever you're doing. And, uh, you can't get you can't avoid it. And, uh, uh, you know, I've learned this in life that, uh, every day can't be a good day because yeah. you wouldn't know what a good day is if right. you didn't experience some bad days. Right. And so, uh, we, we have to accept that as a, um, just how this world was created and how this world operates. But you know, again, being a person who takes great comfort in my faith, I've, I always kind of use one of my favorite scriptures, Romans eight, eight, eight Romans eight twenty eight, yeah, which says everything works together for good. <laughs> and yep. what, whatever is going on in our world today, even though it doesn't seem great and it's disrupted all of our normal lives and the in the calendar that we're used to working on, that somewhere at some point in whatever time, place, form, or fashion, uh, something good is going to come out of this. There's going to be something we're going to look back on and say, if that didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And uh, so I mean, our kids were, and our team and our staff were very disappointed. Obviously, we didn't get to play out how our season, would, we wanted it to finish. We had a you know, historical season at Florida State, yeah. and the players were very uh, dis- disappointed when they didn't get to play in the ACC tournament or the NCAA tournament and see how all that would have finished. But, uh, you know, we're going to look back on it, and, and there's going to be something that, that uh, that experience of the returning players is going to grow into something for future situations that they're going to share with uh, with guys that are coming in the program. And uh, I'm just expecting uh, that uh, right now to use this opportunity. I've talked to a lot of uh, young coaches in the business. I try to give back as much as I can because a lot of old coaches helped me when I was a young coach. Yeah, and I just tell them, you know, the, the valuable time you're getting to be at home right now with your young children. Uh, as you progress in the business, you're going to look back and realize there was a reason that you got to do that. I mean, I, I tell people this all the time. One of the things that was that helped me in my career is uh, when, before I got to the, to the level of coaching in college, I'd been a high school coach for 14 years. And uh, for most of that, my children got to ride to school with me every day and they stayed in the after school care program or stayed in the gym with me and rode home with me at night. And they ran the camp store at my camps and, and um, the, the conversations and relationships that we had when they needed it uh, were already formed because by the time I moved into the college ranks, they were moving into adolescence and, and, and teen life and all that kind of stuff where they were not going to need dad that much. They were going to move in their own world. Yeah. But our relationships were so cemented and strong in terms of uh, uh, the life I was trying to share with them, the things I was trying to instill in them. Uh, the, the love and uh, the time invested in them uh, had confidence was not going to return void. And now that they're into their adult lives, you know, and I look back and know that my steps were ordered, that my, my life in, co- in high school basketball was there for a reason before I got an opportunity to go into the college game and have a year in the NBA and be away from home more. But that never became a negative because my kids already knew who I was, what I was about, and what, what the, my love for them meant. That's awesome. I try to tell a lot of young coaches that now to you know, use this time while you're home. Don't just spend all your time trying to say, I got to do better as a coach and watch every, every webinar and every podcast. You know, I hope they'll listen to this one, but you know, make sure you take this time, take this closeness time with your kids and, and really take that time. Because if you're a goal oriented person and you're dreaming big, eventually you're going to have to be away from home uh, on a more um, dominant uh, amount of time. And so when that happens, you want to have your, uh, your fatherly, uh, or if there's any mothers out there listening that are women coaches, I mean, you have those so ingrained in your children that uh, that your relationships will never go go sour on you. That's great, coach. You do you do the work on the front end, so to speak, and then uh, on the back end when you're away, they know what you're doing and why you're doing it. They don't get the sense of they just don't want to spend time with me. They would rather do that than be with us. I mean, like that may still creep in from time to time, but as a whole, like you said, once you galvanize those relationships uh, with your children, I've got four daughters. And so there's just constantly this, I have to reiterate and, you know, reaffirm, you know, that's what it's all about with them explaining why I do what I do and why I have to sometimes do things. And so, yeah, it's very, very important. I like what you said, coach, 
when you when you quoted when you quoted Romans eight twenty eight, uh, there's a saying that I heard one time and I and I thought about. It. I said, you know, if everything works out for our good, if it ain't good, it ain't over. And so that's the, the mindset's always like, well, if things haven't worked out for my good, that means there's still more time for this thing to play itself out. And so I think that's just a really strong verse, coach, to to kind of for us to kind of live by. And so I really do appreciate you kind of bringing that up. Now, coach, at this time right now, you know, family, uh, time, uh, all that, uh, what matters most to you in times like this? Uh, again, I think I've kind of already hit on that a little bit. And, you know, uh, to kind of piggyback on what we just talked about is, you know, how good a parenting job we do is never going to surface itself when we're right in front of our children. Yeah. Um, the job we do as parents is always going to manifest itself when our kids are away from us. Yeah. And so again, going that, going that ability to teach, uh, to mold, uh, to shape, uh, to, to, pry, to, to pour into their malleable hearts and spirits right now is, uh, is that ability to know that when, when they're on their own, you know, part of you is going to live on and they're going to hear your voice even when you're not remotely close to where they are. And when they can hear that voice and if you're speaking with a voice from a, from a deep spiritual space, a success-based uh, uh, mindset, uh, a right versus wrong mindset, uh, you know, those are the things that, uh, uh, that you, you really got to be pouring into your children uh, into those things. So, you know, the one thing we've tried to try to do is uh, even in these times where we have to be not gathering in groups and stuff is to make sure that we're, uh, you know, we're still recognizing uh, the habits of our faith and making sure we're, uh, we're not slipping in those areas and making sure we're still pouring uh, those thoughts and, uh, and uh, habits and things that we try to do. Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, it's going to continue to try to, from a distance, stay close to your players because they're like surrogate children to all of us as coaches. So, you know, try to reach out to those guys every day and just uh, challenge them with things to do and, uh, uh, and and things to think about and things to you know, to to be doing to find a way to, to make themselves better and, uh, and be responsible, even though you're they're not in front of your face every day. So, you know, in kind of in a roundabout way, it's just about you can. The most important thing now is to continue to be a parent and continue to be. Uh, a leader that's trying to find a way to make a difference uh, in the people that are in, you're in, you've been put in charge of in this world, whether it's your your team or whether it's your kids. And uh, those things, I don't think whether we're having a pandemic or not having a pandemic or anything that I'll, I'll ever get away and find something else to do. That that's kind of my uh, hobbies. You know, a lot of some guys in our business they spend more time on the golf course or on a lake mm-hmm. or, or in a, uh, a hunting stand or something. But I I'm I'm not that 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 guy. I, I tend to my hobby is, to, is to, to try to be the best mentor and father and figure uh, and actual father that I can be and find ways that I can make myself better uh, in those situations. Fantastic, Coach. That, that's great stuff. That's great uh, keys to, to good living, honestly, to, to have the right focus, the right uh, priorities. And uh, so, yeah. So, Coach, I would ask you, given all your success, you were inducted to the Assistant Coaches Hall of Fame in, last year in May, and then you've won ACC championships, Big East, SEC, all that. So here again, all that success, Coach, what motivates you to do what you do? Uh, well, I, I, you know, again, my, my first thing is my feeling that I have a calling to each individual player to be uh, – somebody they look up to and somebody they listen to and somebody that they know always has been telling them the truth. Uh, I, I tell every player when they come in for their first day as freshmen or transfers or however they get into our program, I say, you know, my number one job as your coach is to continually define reality. Yeah. So wow. I'm not going to be the guy that's in, that's in your ear telling you how great everything's going to be. I am going to tell you when you're good, but I'm also going to tell you when you're bad. And you may not appreciate it at the moment, but at some point you'll look back and say, you know, Coach Jones was, was right. He was always telling me uh, what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear, where the masses uh, are out there just telling me, you know, this is going to happen. You're, you know, you're NBA bound. You're all, you know, everything you see whenever a kid makes any kind of little statement on social media, you know, all the comments on there are, I mean, they're like candy-coated poison for a lot of young guys. It, sound, it tastes good on the outer surface, but once you get past the, 
once you get past the outer shell, it turns into poison for them because they they lose their ability to focus, their ability to work, and their ability to accept reality. Wow. And I tell them, I tell you, most of the stuff I'm going to tell you while you're playing for me, you're going to think I'm the foreigner in the deal and I'm the guy that's out of whack, but everybody else is telling you something different. Yeah. I said, but when it, when it all said and done, you're going to appreciate it. And I said, the things you want to find in life are people who don't want anything from you other than for you to be the best. Yeah. Usually everybody else is just praising you all the time. They want a piece of whatever you're getting, and they want it for free. Yeah, for sure. They want it for free. For sure. So they think you know. They can say something positive to you, and that's that's like uh, you know swapping a, a, a ticket in for something you didn't you didn't earn. Yeah. I said for you to make it in life, you're gonna have to earn this thing, and uh, you know. So and, and so many young people nowadays. Uh, that distraction becomes bigger than anything. You know, it used to be there's different distractions in generations that you and I grew up in. Yeah. You know, the distract, distraction right now, false reality, yeah. is hurting more careers and hurting more people's development than women, money, uh, drugs, alcohol. I mean, the, the, the false delusionment of what's real and what's not real um, is, is something that, uh, because we're not allowing young people to have the emotional growth of their the emotional intelligence growth, and when you when, when your emotions have not been developed, our mind cannot differentiate between what's real and what's imagined. Wow! Everything seems the same when you don't have any emotional IQ. Yeah. And so we talk we talk a lot, and we work very hard. We work as hard. Now coach Hamilton's a big uh, promoter of this, as our whole staff is. You know that we've got to coach their minds as much as we coach their bodies and the and the technical skills that we have to teach them uh, to play the game. Because if they don't have emotional balance and they don't understand how to get past the emotions and process real data in life, they'll never be good decision makers. Because when you just go on emotions, you can't differentiate what's real and what's not real. And yeah. so now you're just going on what feels the best at the moment. And that's when you make mistakes. Yeah. Wow. Coach, you said a lot right there. This generation, I think needs to understand as well. Everything you're saying, everything that you, you coach Hamilton are, are, are preaching and also implementing within your program and that you're not how you feel. Like, that's one of the biggest things I think I've experienced with young people is, like, just because you feel that way, that doesn't make you who you are. Just because you feel like you're this or you're that, that doesn't mean you are that. And identity, the identity crisis that's taking place has kind of really, like you said, impacted a lot of people's careers and their futures. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Coach, because I think a lot of coaches out there listening uh, need to really step into that uh, sphere uh, because it's a real place. And if you just think that uh, they'll get over it, they're, on, they're in a slump or, or whatever, right, just shake it off, son. Uh, you, you better think twice because these kids have real ideas, real thoughts, whether they're, they're their own or somebody else's. And you got to kind of confront them at times. And so, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Coach. That's a really great point of emphasis. Now, Coach, I would ask you personally, because we all sacrifice things to, to uh, move ahead either in our careers or just in life, period. What have you sacrificed or even invested to be where you're at today? Well, again, I think that's a two-part question, so I'm going to talk about the investment part of it first. I mean, the things that I invested when I was a young coach and you know, only knew certain things about the game is, you know, I really, I really went as overboard as I could uh, to invest in my craft and to learn everything I could about how to teach the game. But I think all the great coaches in every sport historically have had the heart of a teacher yeah. and they've been able to mold lives by being able to teach and not just, you know, be able to present something, but they actually can progressively do that. So, you know, going to, going to clinics back when you bought uh, instructional videotapes, you know, those mm -hmm. things are all antiquated nowadays. <laughs> you know, those are all pre-internet pre stuff. Yeah. Uh, but studying those things, taking notes. I worked at the famed five-star camp for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, even on the times I was off, they'd always would have a, uh, a segment of camp going on called Station 13 where uh, a college coach or a guest speaker would be taking any any kid that wanted extra extra work and extra knowledge to come to that station. Uh, and I was at every one of them, and I still have every note that I took on all these guys on how they progressively presented their uh, presentation on whatever their topic was. I still have those to this day. Uh, and 
I, I really invested in, in the going to those things. I've got all my clinic notes from when I used to go to the McGregor clinics and the Nike clinics when they were first starting and the uh, medalist clinics, uh, the ones I could get to. And uh, so my investment in that was, uh, was big. Uh, and then my other part of my investment in that was uh, somebody suggested a book to me early in my career by an author named Harvey McKay. And it said, dig your well before you're thirsty. And the whole thing was a networking book of how you get to know people before you need something. And so I I, I took my time to go work uh, as many camps. I didn't just work the local camps in Memphis where I was, where I started coaching at, because, you know, if you're a local high school coach in Memphis, you know, even if you played there, unless you were a superstar player, they're really not going to hire you on their staff to get your career going because they make all the other coaches in the city jealous of you. And so you couldn't have any success. So for you to, to have a chance, something like that, you had to go away and hope you'd be successful enough for them to bring you back. Yeah. So I went and worked camps at the, obviously five star, but I worked at the University of Iowa, Murray State, uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham, Future Stars, uh, Natural Shot Shooting Camps, every kind of diversity I could, so I could learn while I was there, but also so I could build relationships, knowing that if I was going to ever be a college coach, recruiting was going to be part of it. And I was going to have to be able to know people and, and have people who knew me yeah. so I could find ways to get in the door. So, you know, those are my biggest investments. And to this day, and in fact, I'm recruiting a kid right now whose dad and I worked camp at the University of Iowa 30 years ago. Wow. And I lost track of him. And he became, uh, he's an executive uh, in a coaches association in, a, in another state outside of Florida. And I'm going to one of their recruiting events last June and, I walk in the door to, to uh, register to go into the event, and he's running the table. And he said, Stan Jones, what are you up to, man? It's been a long time. And uh, I said, man, I sure had not lost touch with you. Man, it's good to see you doing what you're doing. And we, one thing leads to another. And he's got a son that's a really good player that, you know, because of that relationship we had and, and, the, and the character he knows that I had, he wants us to recruit his child. So wow. uh, those, those relationships, it goes back, and that couldn't be any more profound than what that book was about digging your well before you're thirsty because every year we need new players. Our roster doesn't stay the same every year. So, yeah. uh, you know, if I, if I didn't know that guy and I'm calling him cold, uh, he don't know who I am, I may not even have a chance to get past hello. In the recruiting conversation, so yeah, uh, some of my best friends and some of my best contacts are people that I worked those camps with back when I was a young high school coach, uh, making that investment, uh, hoping that it would pay long term dividends for me, and it has, and I'm, I'm blessed because of the sacrifices. You know, even as, as good as things as I had when I'm young with my kids, you know, I've had to sacrifice a few things. You know, uh, when you're an assistant coach, uh, you know, things happen that sometimes you can't control that totally on what goes on with your head coach. And, uh, you know, when my kids were finishing up high school, you know, Coach Hamilton was blessed uh, to leave the University of Miami and become the head coach of the Washington Wizards. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you, you think he had coaches just signed a, a major extension. You think we're going to be at the University of Miami for a while and, and, and those kind of things. And then all of a sudden this pops up and well, my daughter's going to be a senior and, uh, and uh, I don't have a job in, in Miami. I could have just said, well, I got to stay in Miami and do this, that, and the other. And, the coach offers me a position to go with him to the NBA. So nice. I got to do that. So you, know, you have to sacrifice sometimes being away from your family. And I had to, I, I had to go get an apartment in, in the DC area and, and work in the NBA and see my family when I could during those times to keep, keep my career going. But again, it goes back to how things have progressed where we had relationships and we stayed in touch and, and, uh, the technology was advancing where back then you had the, uh, um, oh, what they call the AOL messenger. So we yeah. could still be talking to each other kind of, Got a free every night, and cell phones are starting to be in vogue. So those are always positive things. And you know, you, know, you think you're going to be there, and you think you're going to move your family up to DC the next year and be in the NBA for a while. <laughs> Excuse me, that falls apart. Falls apart, and I go to Mississippi State the next year, and I actually live in a dorm room for a year Whoa. to keep my career going, so my so my son can finish it because they were both in their finishing years of high school, and they earned the right to stay in the things they'd work to achieve. My daughter was going to be the, uh, the drum major in the marching band and the band program, one of the leaders. And, uh, my son, it was in a web design magnet program in one of the top public schools in the country. Uh, and uh, I couldn't take him out of that and put him into something that wasn't going to give him near the opportunities he was having now. So I had to sacrifice and, and, some, and, and that was emotionally tough uh, to make sure they were successful. But on the other hand, now as even I've been at Florida State with Coach Hamilton for 18 years, you know, there have been a few jobs I, I could have chased, 
and tried to do something just to say I was a head coach at the time. But along with working for the, the best boss that you could ever work for in college basketball, which makes it hard to leave, you know, the second thing is, you know, my family's all ended up going to Florida State. My kids have careers in Tallahassee, and I have grandkids and all that stuff. It has, it has to be the right situation uh, where the financial blessing is going to change my ability in retirement to influence my family uh, and not just take a job to feed my eternal desire to want to be a head coach. So I've made those sacrifices to make sure the happiness of my wife and my kids and my grandkids are, are paramount. And uh, I get asked to speak at clinics quite often about vertical mobility and coaching. And, you know, I tell people all the time that uh, once you become, you can take risks and you can do a lot of stuff when you're single, but once you become married and start having children, uh, your number one priority on chasing your goals still has to be making sure your wife, your spouse, and your children are um, are happy. Yeah. And that's your job as the leader and the priest of the home is is to be responsible for that. So sometimes the decisions you want to do, say, well, if I take this, I know I can get to here. Sometimes you got to say, that's not best for them. And so those sacrifices have been something that uh, have happened, but I don't necessarily call them sacrifices. I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. No, Coach, you're – that's a fantastic rundown, Coach, because I think uh, a lot of coaches out there, they know what's to come in a sense because they've heard these stories before. Uh, but I don't think anything really prepares you for them. However, you know things will work out like they've worked out for you. And I think that's always that, that brings joy and hope to a situation where it's like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what the next move is, especially right now where things are so uncertain. And we don't know where budgets are going to be. We don't know where any of that's going to be yet. And so I think that really just, you know, you running all that down for us really does bring hope and a positivity to, hey, you know, this is the way it worked out for me. It can work out for you, too. There's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be a a lot of investment as well. And so you can really uh, see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train coming to hit you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you shared that, Coach. Now, I always, coaches, I I just hope we're all so thoughtful and mindful of everybody else. However, I hope we're, we're, you know, being introspective and doing self-reflection enough in our, in our time and our meditation, prayer, whatever you do. Right. Uh, So I would ask you, coach, what have you learned about yourself throughout your career? Well, I've I've learned that uh, to kind of get over my own, uh, uh, Sometimes lack of esteem. Am I good enough? I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't a great player. I was a good player. I knew how to play, but I wasn't the guy that became any legend or any uh, hero program at any program. I you know, started out coaching in the smallest private school in in the state of Tennessee, uh, and I dreamed big. And I was blessed to go from being a high school coach uh, into college. And was I going to be good enough to recruit? Was I actually going to be able to to live up to the standards of a great recruiter and coach like Coach Hamilton and um, could I make a difference? So all those things, just like when I was a, a young player who was kind of a late developer, I had to I had to gain confidence. I had to grow into myself. And um, that same progression has had to happen for me as a coach and in my career is to make sure that uh, I'm doing the right thing so I can stay ahead of the curve, so I can always have be proactive and not settle and, uh, and have that healthy fear of myself of am I good enough? And, that, and I do that way. Every scouting report that I'm assigned to do uh, in our season is, I mean, I, I, if I don't do this, what happens when we lose? And so I'm always, yeah. and, I, and my dad taught me a long time ago, you show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser, and that's always stuck at home with wow. me. And, uh, and and sometimes Coach Hamilton always kind of tells me sometimes I'm, I don't have a good enough poker face that people can read my emotions too much. So I tried to work on that <laughs> because I do not like to lose. Yeah. And again, I was reading a study the other day it was done 10 or 12 years ago at the University of Michigan, and they were doing uh, some kind of electrical study on the front part, frontal lobe of the brain on people and on when what happens, what kind of activity goes on in the front of their of their brain when uh, they're, they're doing gaming and making bets and they have wins or losses. And it talked about, and, and they came up with the results of the study that there's way more activity when the person suffered a loss than when they suffered a win. I mean, when they enjoy to win. Wow. And so uh, they, they were talking about that many times in life we get that way is, is, is we put more emphasis on the loss and we just kind of uh, kind of are relieved 
Uh, and uh, when we have a win, but we kind of start moving on to the next one. I've really learned more over time, and I tell a lot of coaches, I send, every time I know guys that win state championships or conference championships in college, I always send them a text or a note saying, man, take time to enjoy this moment and savor it. Yeah. Because I caught myself early in my career when I won my first uh, association championship as a high school coach. Uh, you know, 30 minutes after I left the gym, all I was thinking about is the next team. And I didn't do enough celebrating with that current team. And, yeah. you, know, you know, this year, even though we didn't get to uh, go to the ACC and the NCAA tournament and play, you know, we won the ACC regular season title on the last game at home. And uh, we won that game. And uh, Virginia beat Louisville, which made us the outright champion at, at 16-4. and four. And, the, and the university did a great job celebrating that awesome. for our team. And, and to sit there and just, I, I just stood in the middle of the court and watched our guys cut the net and favor that and made sure I talked to each one of those guys and uh, not knowing that we wasn't going to play another game that year yeah. and just made sure that, you know, that uh, I took in all that moment and made sure that those kids took in all that moment and talked about those things. And I, we, and when we got back to the locker room, you know, I said, we're not even talking about the ACC tournament. Enjoy this one. And we'll talk about that when we, we, we get to the next practice for that. And uh-huh. I, I think I've learned that the most is to is to not just be driven by the fear of losing, but that has to be part of it because you know, that, uh, that, is, that is a driving force in every successful person. But also to take just a little bit of time to, to savor the wins and to, and to find the wins in your life, uh, even sometimes when things aren't going well. And you know, that's something I work very hard on to make sure that uh, I try to keep that in my daily and seasonal focus with my, with my career. Great stuff, Coach. Yeah, you're, you know, wanting just to be in the moment, be where your feet are at, and enjoy that time. Because uh, it, like we talked about earlier, it's not always going to be like that. And you're not always going to be in that championship game or that, you know, cutting the nets down, if you will. So when you do get there, to really, really enjoy that time, that's great. Now, Coach, my last question always has to do with legacy because I believe that uh, even young coaches, if you begin with the end in mind, uh, you can really set yourself up to have a great career, and you've had a stellar career, Coach. So what would you want to be said of you when it's all said and done? Well, when I'm laying in that casket in front of wherever my parents, I mean, wherever my family puts me, whether it's in front of a pulpit or uh, and wherever, I want the first off of my, uh, my wife, my kids, my grandkids to say there's a good man. Yeah, I want to make sure they know that that I was a person that uh, was a substance and a character and, and a faith and that, that that was a good guy. Uh, and he, he lived his life in a good manner. Uh, and then the second thing is, you know, I would like to say that I poured enough into my players, the coaches I've worked with, the young student staffers that became coaches, uh, people that uh, I've crossed paths with in my career that I've been willing to listen or to ask questions that, I've poured some substance into them and I've left a little meat on the bone for them to chew on and to find their own way so that uh, even when I'm gone, part of me still lives on. And uh, that, w- that would be my, my greatest joy is to, to know uh, that uh, uh, for a long past my life that uh, my prayers don't die, uh, my thoughts and my desires of people to become successful uh, don't end because my life ended. Uh, and that uh, I've made a difference. And that, that would be the number one thing, and more than number one thing, that would be the, the, the thing that would be most satisfying to me is uh, as the, the, our maker upstairs says, well done, and uh, your time on this earth has passed, and uh, now you get to watch all the other people take it and run with it. Yeah. Coach, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, and it was, uh, It's always humbling and uh, to be asked to speak and somebody thinks that you have some value to give and I appreciate you uh, reaching out and uh, anytime I can uh, be of service to you, please don't hesitate to call and we'll chop it up. I will definitely take you up on that, Coach. Thank you so much.